Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said that to you. You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This too is the word of God for the people of God. I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me when I was in Scotland, but first I need to tell you something about my experience at Princeton. The music director at the seminary is this man named Martin Tell, and Martin is something of a genius when it comes to sacred music, not unlike our own Jonathan Crutchfield. Martin loves to get people to sing together, and that is never more apparent than during the first chapel service of a new semester. He'll introduce a song and divide us, singers and non-singers alike, up into four and sometimes more parts. And then he literally stands in the middle of the chapel and bounces back and forth as he conducts us with wide eyes. Um, 
It is just this infamous part of who Martin Tell is. And one of his favorites during my time at PTS was a very theoretically simple song called The Journey is Long. Come with me for the journey is long. Those are literally the only lyrics. And somehow, in Martin's hands, it becomes this four-part, winding, beautiful song. Anyway, in 2013, I went to Edinburgh to visit my best friend who was studying for her Master of Theology. During my time, we went north and visited some other sites and other cities. We stopped in Inverness, and we dropped our bags at our B&B and took a bus out to Urquhart Castle, which are just these really lovely ruins right on the banks of Loch Ness. Now, I have to tell you, I went to Scotland in the uh, end of March and beginning of April, so I was prepared for it to just rain the whole time I was there, but it, it didn't. We had sun every single day, except the day that we went to Inverness. It was freezing and it was raining, but we didn't let that slow us down. We toured the ruins, we had a great time. And then we came in damp and chilly for some museum cafe tea and scones. Brilliant, right? We get our tea and Chelsea, being the responsible one, goes to the desk and triple checks the bus schedule. Castle closes in 20 minutes, bus will be here in 15. Perfect. So we head out to the bus stop and we wait. No bus. The folks who had been working pull out of the parking lot, still no bus. The rain picks up, nothing. 40 minutes go by. I ask in a uh, kind of condescending, suspicious tone if Chelsea had looked at the right bus schedule. Uh, she does not appreciate that. There's still no bus. A bus coming in the other direction stops and we tell the driver that we're waiting, waiting for the one that's going back into Inverness and he assures us that it should be along any minute. We wait. I ask Chelsea again about the schedule, and she snaps back at me. So now we're not speaking. Uh, one of us suggests that we start walking, because eventually we'll hit this little village, and maybe we can find a phone and call a taxi. At least we'll be moving, because I can't really feel my fingers. Chelsea and I still aren't speaking. It's tense. Like, in retrospect, we both admit that we thought that this was the end of our friendship. Um, and we walk, and it rains, and we walk, and it rains. And suddenly, one of us, I don't think we've ever quite agreed on who started it, starts singing to herself, come with me, for the journey is long. Come with me, for the journey is long. It takes a few cycles, but then the other one joins in, and without discussing it, we're singing in parts. And then, ridiculously, we're trying to cover all four parts between the two of us. And the rain lets up, or at least in my memory, it lets up, because we're, all we're thinking about now is singing at the tops of our voices like literal crazy people on an empty road in the Scottish countryside. And we're laughing, and we feel warmer, and we make it into the village, and right as we step into the bus shelter, the bus that we had been waiting for appears. It remains both the coldest and wettest that I have ever been, and also my and Chelsea's favorite memory from my visit to Scotland. We are still friends. The journey had been long indeed. 
Our texts today offer us introductions to two men who are quite generally putting, genuinely putting their first foot forward into a new life-changing journey. We start with Abram, who would before long wear the new name Abraham. Abram's family is from Ur in the land of the Chaldeans. And before his death, his father's death, he had led Abram and other members of their family toward Canaan, only they didn't make it very far. Abram and his family, they get to Haran and decide to settle there. And it is in Haran that God comes to Abram and instructs him to leave his home and his people to a new place to finish, as it were, the journey to Canaan. God promises Abram so much in the course of these four short verses. I will make of you something great. I will bless you. I will magnify your name. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And Abram goes. Without a question or a complaint or a concern, Abram takes his wife and his nephew, and he sets out on this journey into and toward the promise that God has made. And it certainly isn't a short journey. The text tells us that Abram is 75 when he leaves Haran, and it isn't until Abraham is 100 years old that his son Isaac is born. So 25 years and nine biblical chapters later, we see the fruits of that promise, and even then, Abraham's journey is far from complete. And then we have Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is such a fascinating character, I think, in the New Testament. We only find him here in John's Gospel. He's a Pharisee, a leader in the Jewish community who has a meticulous adherence to his interpretation of the Torah. He comes to Jesus. Jesus, who is none too popular with the Pharisees, kind of ever, but particularly in this moment. Jesus has just cleansed the temple. There were some whips and some turnings of tables. He causes a big scene. Um, and the leadership is super unhappy. And here comes Nicodemus. No wonder it's under the cover of night that the Pharisee approaches Jesus. I like to imagine Nicodemus sneaking through the darkness to find this man who has already been the source of so much controversy. How did he know where to find him? I wonder if he had quietly planned this moment, thought through when and where and how to go. I imagine him approaching the place that Jesus was staying and hesitating, maybe turning away once or twice, not yet convinced that he should even be there. And then, when he's finally in front of Jesus, clearing his throat a time or two, talking about something casual, like the weather, because it isn't just that Nicodemus is going to visit the unpopular kid and his friends are going to make fun of him. Nicodemus is having something of a crisis of faith, going against the beliefs held by his fellow Pharisees. And there, in the secrecy of night, he tells Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one else can do the signs that you're doing apart from the presence of God. And what a thing to say. For all of the times that Jesus will be accused of blasphemy and derided for his claims of his origin, here is Nicodemus, 
a Pharisee admitting that he believes that everything Jesus says is true. Not only that, Nicodemus says, we. We know that you come from God, implying that there are at least a couple others among the Jewish leadership who also believe this. Others may be on the same page, but Nicodemus is the only one to come to Jesus and admit it. This must have been a truly difficult admission of belief, and it is only a dip of the toe into Nicodemus's journey. Jesus, he turns Nicodemus's belief back on him by telling Nicodemus that he, or anyone who wishes to see the kingdom of heaven, must be born again. And Nicodemus is understandably confused. How can anyone be born again? From a scientific and logistic perspective, he's not wrong. But of course, Jesus isn't talking about a literal physical rebirth. Jesus is talking about a spiritual transformation. And that doesn't really track with Nicodemus, so Jesus launches into an explanation. And the explanation that Jesus offers to Nicodemus includes easily the most quoted passage of Scripture of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Seen by many as a summation of the gospel, you ask what the gospel is, what the message of the New Testament is, and John 3.16 feels like a pretty simple and neat explanation. It is, however, only part of the answer, certainly not the full picture, because verse 16 is not a one time, about a one-time profession of faith, about being born again, but rather about this full invitation to follow the way of Jesus. Nicodemus expresses a belief in Jesus, albeit in the secrecy of night, but it is only the beginning of this journey for him. He left Jesus that night likely with more questions than with answers and went back to his regular life. He is still a Pharisee, and the Pharisees still don't get along with Jesus. And Nicodemus will appear twice more in John's gospel, each time moving just a little further away from the Pharisee who needed the cover of darkness to come to Jesus. In chapter 7, Nicodemus will defend Jesus when there is unrest in the temple and the police want to arrest Jesus. Nicodemus reminds them that they don't judge anyone without giving them a trial. And then, after Jesus' death, John's gospel tells us that Nicodemus is there with Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph, not unlike Nicodemus, was a secret follower of Jesus for fear of the Jewish leadership. The two men prepare Jesus' body for burial together. Nicodemus brought with him a hundred pounds of the necessary mixture of aloe and myrrh, which wouldn't have come cheaply. From a secret profession of belief to a public act of love and investment, Nicodemus has come a long way. We have to go beyond verse 16 of John chapter 3 because faith is about so much more than a statement of belief. Belief is shown in deeds. Verses 19 to 21 of this chapter clearly connect and link action and belief. The author of the gospel draws this dichotomy between actions done in the light, done in faith, and actions done in the darkness. 
those, dark, uh, those actions that contradict what we believe. The choice might start with belief, but it is only revealed in actions. Or as the book of James puts it, be doers of the word, not merely hearers. That is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the direction that he is trying to point Nicodemus in. This is also the question that we ask ourselves, particularly in this introspective time of Lent. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Is it to confess that Jesus is the divine incarnate, incarnate who bleeds and dies for our sins? Or is it to believe in and enact the way of Jesus, living the gospel of love in word and deed to God and neighbor? Perhaps it is both. And I think really that it is all about the journey of the two. It is about faith and certainty and also about questioning and seeking. It is about a life of action and doing. It is messy and real and frustrating and full of mistakes, but also wonderful and full of growth and love. God calls us to leave behind the things that we know, which feels dangerous and risky. But like Abram and Nicodemus, Nicodemus before us, our journey of faith is one of relinquishment that leads us into something bigger than ourselves. In a few moments, we're going to bear witness to the start of another journey. Amy and Matt and Jacob will bring Nicholas forward to be baptized. And with them, we will celebrate together God claiming Nicholas as God's own. We will welcome him into our family of faith. His parents will make promises to guide Nicholas on his journey, and we will make promises to do the same, to support and to teach and to love. Not to have all the answers. Shocking, I know. Um, Matt and Amy won't be perfect, and neither will we. And that isn't really the point of the promises that we make in baptism. We don't promise to mold children into perfect little Christians who always do and say the right thing. Uh, if that were true, my life would be very different. But what we do promise is to journey alongside them. During this baptism and all through this season of Lent, let us remember the importance of the journey we walk together through this life, on this journey, listening for the voice of God, the voice calling us out of our comfort. We live our faith. We put belief into action. Whether the freezing rain is soaking us to our bones or whether the sun is warming our faces, we continue forward. Come with me, friends, for the journey is long and God is with us. Thanks be to God.